I'm so glad to be back. Um, yeah, I was back last week, but I'm glad to be back here uh, teaching again. Uh, and uh, really excited about this new series that we have going on. If this is your first time in church in a long time, or this is your first time in our church, I just want to say welcome to you, especially. I know for some of us, it takes some courage to come out um, to a gathering like this, especially if you're new. Um, and if you came in here without knowing anybody, I hope that you can leave uh, at least having known a couple names. And uh, if you've been in the community for you know some months now, I hope that over the next couple of weeks or so, that you have a chance to take a next step. And that really is what kind of this series is about, is how to further plug along in the body of Christ in a meaningful way. Uh, I know that, you know, uh, for Lynn and I, you know, when we were uh, in transition and looking for new churches, it's tempting to kind of keep coming to a Sunday morning thing, you know, for months and months and months. And that's fantastic. I also want to encourage you to uh, learn about some of our next steps that we have coming up. And today we'll talk about our body life groups uh, a little bit later. Um, but just want to encourage you in that. We're jumping into a new series today. And I want to look at that passage again um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and we're just going to look at 4 through 7. But the Apostle Paul who wrote this, he says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's stop there. We're calling this series uh, Charisma, Gifted for the Common Good, because the Greek word for gift is charisma. All right? So whenever you say, oh, that person's got a lot of charisma, you just said, kind of saying, oh, that person has a lot of gifts. All right? Um, Charismata, which if you ever seen the movie, it was kind of a freaky movie. Uh, but if you've ever seen the movie, uh, it's, uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of stigmata. My bad. <laughs> Charismata just means gift, the plural form. All right? Uh, so you, we get the word charismatic from this word. All right? Uh, charismatic charismatic Christianity. So uh, if you grew up in the Pentecostal church, this probably doesn't freak you out so much, right? Uh, if you grew up outside of that circle, the charismatic people are a little bit scary sometimes, right? Um, you know, especially Baptists. Baptists think that charismatic people, uh, if you're not Baptist, then you might not be Christian, right? Uh, but especially those Pentecostals, right? So you would expect to think that because, um, and I don't know if you feel this way, maybe I've just offended every charismatic in this room. If you grew up in the Pentecostal church, I'm sorry. Uh, but you would think that, you know, because, you know, you see them on TV and everybody's like, oh, you know, they're like, the hands are up in the air and they're speaking in weird languages and like you, the preacher does this and everybody falls over, right, and stuff like that. So you see that and you're kind of like, well, who would fall for that stuff, right? You're thinking, who in their right mind would go for that stuff, right? So you would think that that would actually, that, that, that movement would fail, like it would actually, you know, it would actually die off and we'd engage in this form of Christianity that's, you know, so intellectually stimulating and answers the purpose of life, right? But you know, you think that would be the case, but it's exactly the opposite. It's true. The actually charismatic Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world. Islam is slightly behind that. But the Pentecostal church is the fastest growing church in the world. As a matter of fact, the Pulitzer Center, which is a secular uh, scholastic journalist um, organization, they did a study on the um, charismatic church back in 2013. And they estimated that 35,000 people join the charismatic church every day. They actually even came up with a, a website. Again, this is a secular, non-Christian organization to track the growth of the Pentecostal church worldwide. And uh, every day, they've had a ticker. As of last night when I checked, there were 514,376,542 people that make up the charismatic church in the world. All right. 
Now, uh, it's growing all over. It's not just India, South America, uh, uh, Africa, right? Those are kind of the places that if you know the growth of Christianity, you, you know, understand that you understand that the shift of Christianity is going from the west to the east, from the north to the south, right? It's no longer Europe or North America that is the center for Christianity. It's Africa, it's India, it's China, right? Just to let you know. Most Christians in the world look like me, by the way, just to let you know. <laughs> but this is happening even in North America. It's happening in, in Europe, in China, Australia, even here in Canada. They're charismatic Catholics, Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, non-denominational, house churches, mega churches, under the tree churches. All these people fall under the banner of charisma, charismatic, charismatic, gift, they practice the gifts. I think of a church in London. It's in the center of London called Holy Trinity Brompton. I don't know if anybody's ever been to that church or in that area. They're a church of over 4,000 people reaching young intellectuals, secular people in the heart of London, England. Not London, Ontario, London, England. They're a charismatic Anglican church led by a former barrister named Nicky Gumbel, all right? Um, and HTV, they developed a little course. It's a small course that served over 27 million people. Um, for those who are actively seeking who is Jesus, right? And so this is for those who are outside of the faith, they're wanting to know more. A little course that we run here called Alpha. If you're interested in that course, um, Curtis just stepped out. He runs that course, and we'll be running one uh, very shortly soon. So I think about church, there he is, the Alpha guy, okay. <laughs> so perfect timing. So I think of churches like that, you know, where it's not just after you. People think, oh, no, it's, it, it's in the rural areas where this kind of phenomena is happening. No, it's happening even in urban centers of the most strategic, influential cities in the world. Some of you are thinking, well, is Trinity Life a charismatic church? Um, charismatic isn't just like they raise their hands and they sing very emotional songs. That's, that's not it. And let me answer that question, is Trinity Life a charismatic church this way? Any church that believes in the active and present work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works today the way that the Holy Spirit worked back in the New Testament. Anybody, any church that believes that really is charismatic in a broad sense, okay? You're charismatic in a broad sense. If you don't believe that, um, I think that, that means you're more deist than you are a Christian, all right? And I don't mean to offend those of us who grew up in a church that was like very adamantly, don't raise your hand when you worship, or you know, don't, it's Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures, right? Uh, I don't want to offend you uh, if you grew up in that kind of church, right? Um, but in a sense, uh, that's, a, that's a closer form of deism than it is to, uh, you know, authentic New Testament Christianity, right? And so some of us Christians, we grew up practical deists. You're not, a, you're not an atheist, uh, but you're a practical deist. You believe in the history of Christianity. You just don't know if you've experienced or you believe in the practical power of God today. So what is charismatic Christianity? And to be honest, I'm not, I'm not trying to promote that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm playing off of the name of our series, all right? But what is it? Because I really don't, I mean, I don't think it's useful to begin naming people, hey, you're a charismatic, or that's a charismatic church, right? Um, don't really like that. But I think it's important for us to understand that there is a movement that's happening in the church worldwide. Uh, it's a stream in Christianity that believes that the Holy Spirit works today the same way that the Holy Spirit has always been working, even in the New Testament. That like with Jesus, like with Jesus, God is doing, he's empowering people for normal, everyday living, but he's also empowering people for supernatural works, all right? 
So for, for those of us who subscribe to this or you, you, you believe that and you want to see that happen, you would fall in the stream of somebody who is kind of in, swept up in this kind of idea that God is at work through the gifts throughout the church right now. Right. And so, and again, to be honest with you, most of us who call ourselves, you know, kind of biblical, Bible-believing Christians, we, to a large degree, we would fall kind of in this category. All right. But there is a segment of people that think charismatic Christians are emotional and irrational and just just loony, all right? I won't say which church, but Friday uh, night, (laughs) my my wife and I, we went out to this other city uh, two hours away, and we attended uh, just a a small little church conference, and it was a a speaker that Linda had been reading, uh, and he wrote a book, uh, and uh, uh, she had been reading, so he was in town and wanted to go. Uh, We didn't know what kind of church we were going to, uh, and so we went to the church, and again, if this was the church that you grew up in, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody, but this is a new experience, not for me, but for my kids. And so we got to the church, and the music was going. It was really good. If you like 80s and 90s worship music, it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so it was really good. And uh, so the way the banner waver, she comes out, and she's got a banner, and she's waving that. And I'm, I'm thinking that's cool, you know what I mean? And so, but then she starts doing twirl circles like this. And my kids, they can't hold it together. Like, they're on the floor laughing it's not the holy spirit <laughs> and then uh, one of the guys he's like he's just running up and down the aisles right jumping like they're at a, a music concert <laughs> so if you grew up in the church i'm not judging you okay like i love that stuff like i'd be the running guy too um no I, <laughs> um but, you know, uh, so for some of us, when we think about, like, charismatic Christianity, that's the impression that we get. And so we're like, no, man, that, like, you got to check your brain at the door to believe that stuff. And, um, and I don't necessarily believe that, but there is a part of me that often feels like, oh, you know what, but I don't want to look silly, right? And so that tends to be how we think about, like, um, charismata whenever we think um, about these things, right? But part of it is because we are also told that subjective experiences, like an experience with something is hard to validate. You've ever heard that before, right? Like, don't, don't talk to me about experiences. Show me proof, right? And so we, somebody told us a long time ago that experiences aren't valid. And so for most of us, even those who grew up in the church, but especially for those of you who are out, you know, who didn't grow up in the church, you, you, you feel this way, that experiences aren't valid. And so you can't base everything on experience, right? And so the question that actually is asked oftentimes is, can you prove that somebody has had an encounter with God, specifically God's spirit? Like, can rational people accept experiences with the Holy Spirit? Have you ever asked yourself that before? Like, is it rational to, to say that we can experience God's spirit, right? Because it looks irrational from the eye, <laughs> right? So... To, to me, I think this is the key to unlocking the idea of spiritual gifts, all right? Like, if this, this will unlock our understanding of spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, I think if we can answer this question, can we, as rational, intelligent human beings, you know, uh, can we have an experience with God that's valid and genuine? If we can figure that question out, I think more than spiritual gifts, I think we have unlocked the potential of our church, of who we are as a church, of Trinity life, if we can unlock that. Here's a, couple of qu- here's a question that I ask myself, that I ask our church, is how can we be a passionate church where people can encounter God's spirit, but not feel like they have to check their brains at the door? 
How do we be a, a community where it's comfortable to expect God to show up in a very real way and not just have like a, a really intelligent sermon, but God shows up in a real way, but every time somebody shows up, they can ask whatever question they want. They can, they can, they can have as much uncertainty as they want. They can be you know, initially skeptical and, and kind of keep things at bay but we're still comfortable with saying, but God is here and we're encountering him. How can we be that kind of church? Right. And so charismatic Christianity for me doesn't become about a certain expression, but it's what our staff has been saying. It's about this idea that we just, we just expect God to show up. Just like right now, I just expect God to show up. I just expect God to do something with us right now. So the question is, can honest people like you and I sitting here today, and our skeptical friends, those of us who, you know, we have uh, plenty of those, can they have genuine encounters with God? Can they? Is that possible? Do we have to constantly have this argument with people? Or can God fast track that by just showing up and having an experience with people, right? And so... I think that when God's spirit flows, it does two things. And for those of us who have been on this journey for a long time, as God's spirit is encountering us, we actually begin to have our rational longings. Those actually begin to be satisfied. It's funny the way that happens. You don't have to put your rational questions away. But God has some kind of funny way, as you experience him more, that that those questions become satisfied. Those longings become satisfied. And more than that, it actually begins to motivate you to do good. We're getting kind of closer to the idea of spiritual gifts. But as you experience God in your life, right, this very subjective thing, as you have more of God working in your life, that actually it satisfies the questions that you have, and it actually motivates you to do good for others. Now, for those of us who have been in the church for a long time, try answering questions without the power of God in your life, and try doing good without the power of God in your life. What do you end up with? Burnout tiredness, bitterness, skepticism, grumpy Christians. And I wonder if we've had a few generations of those kinds of churches in our cities, and that's why when we, people on the outside look in, they're just kind of like, yeah, we don't really want any of that, you know? They don't want the happy, clappy Christians. They also don't want the grumpy, bitter, skeptical Christians, and so... I think there's something about that. You know, the years leading up to coming into Toronto, I uh, began a journey with, um, uh, with the Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself that cities like Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, London, New York City, uh, you know, pick your major metropolitan city, that part of the reason why most of these cities are so intellectually closed off uh, to the gospel, to, to the Bible, is, is two things. Uh, one is I think there's a residual arrogance from the enlightenment in European liberalism. You understand what I'm saying when I say that? Like there's a, it's a residual effect. I'm not saying the enlightenment ex, ex, itself, itself was like, you know, let's throw that away. But there's a residual effect from that that has created an arrogance that has lasted through the ages. It'll pass, by the way, just like most things like that will pass. But that, that residual arrogance is still with us. We've carried that with us. Uh, to this time, right? That European liberalism, that when the Germans doubted everything, right? Um, th- that's kind of carried on to our day and age. It's the, the Germans called it, it was the zeitgeist. It was the ghost, the spirit of the age. And the number two is that uh, I don't think people have encountered an authentic and spirit-filled 
Christianity. Power-filled, authentic Christianity. And so we have a deist's understanding of God, and it's very easy to reject that. So I started thinking, I mean, God, uh, what, what, what's going to happen? What, happen? what needs to happen in the cities? And, uh, you know, obviously this, I'm not unique in thinking about this. And then I came up with a term. I'm not saying it's from Holy Spirit or God or anything, but I came up with a term. It sounds fancy. It's really not. I said, neo-urban charismaticism, right? <laughs> Makes me sound so scholarly, right? <laughs> yeah. And what I, really, what I really thought about, you know, and that's not been coined. I'm working on that, by the way. <laughs> um, neo-urban charismaticism is the idea that neo knew something new is happening in urban cities, right? And by and large, when I say urban cities, cities that, you know, we feel like there's a resistance to the ideas of God, right? Urban centers, like, like a city like our own, uh, charismaticism, where the idea is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit need to be released in order for there to be belief again. An orthodox understanding of Christianity is that the, orthodox, uh, that the Holy Spirit gives faith so that people can believe. We need a neo-urban charismatic revival in our city, right? Those of us who love apologetics, let's keep working on that. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to empower us to do that, right? But we need the Holy Spirit to fall fresh in a new way in our cities, right? As a matter of fact, we need to stop being cautious with the Holy Spirit. I once heard this preacher say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a charismatic, but I, it's, I have a seatbelt on, right? What does he mean by that? It means he's cautious. Could you imagine, you know, me saying, I'm, I'm really cautious with Jesus, like I'm I love Jesus. He's cool, but I'm, I'm real cautious with him. <laughs> we, no, we need to blow the doors open and say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do. Why else would we sing a song like the one we just sang? Like, oh, I'm cautious with the Holy Spirit, right? I don't want to be one of those happy clappy, or I don't want to be those who, you know, God forbid I speak in tongues, or God forbid, you know, I fall over, right? I mean, so a lot of us, you know, there have been things that kind of seem goofy at first that have happened, you know, in our circles, and we're like, no. But a part of me feels like if we say no, we start drawing lines. Are we saying no to God himself? A passage that Mike and I have been kicking around for the last three, four years, and it's one that uh, got impressed on him specifically. It's from Luke 11, and Jesus says this. This is how you pray. He's teaching his disciples how you pray. And he says to his disciples, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven who is good give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? Why would we not ask for the Holy Spirit? So before we can talk about spiritual gifts, we have to really seriously ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit and what is Holy Spirit doing? Because the Holy Spirit's at work. And if you want to know where your part is in it, you don't take an assessment to figure out where your part is in it. You plug into the person who's at work, which is the Holy Spirit. And so I wrote this for us to kind of just set the tone for us that uh, for this series, that discovering your spiritual gifting isn't a managerial strategy for growing a religious organization, all right? Um, you know, the kind of growth church model that's happened in the last 
uh, 50, 60 years, like uh, we've enterprised spiritual gifts and we've packaged it, which I have nothing against because I'm very much that person. Like I'm very much the, hey, what's your strength finders? Like that's me, okay? Uh, so uh, like what's your Myers-Briggs, right? You're an INTJ, that explains everything about your life, right? So I, I can get into that, right? If you're a disc, oh man, you dominant? Like I don't like dominant, right? So, uh, but spiritual gift isn't a managerial strategy for growing an organization, okay? Um, there's parts in which we, it'll feel like, hey, we're trying to assess people, and you may feel like, hey, that's nice to take in a test and to know more of your giftings, but that's not the point. Discovering your spiritual gift is nurturing the relationship you have with the Holy Spirit living in you and together influencing others the way that Jesus did. It's a relationship. You're not stewarding skills and talents. You're stewarding a person, Right? You're stewarding a relationship with the third person of the Trinity. It's a life filled with joy, laughter, crying, excitement, electricity, love, hoping, healings, miracles. It's not a managerial strategy. You're stewarding this person in your life called the Spirit of God, right? So um, that's where we're going. And so we will break down uh, the, the passage that we read today, and we will say, hey, if you have this gift or that gift, like, this is a great place for you to plug in. So, but don't get lost in that, because at the end of the day, I want to know that when I'm sitting across from you, that you're actually saying, no, I, I want to know the Holy Spirit deeper. I want to, because some of you have not tapped into what the Holy Spirit actually wants to do in your life yet. Some of you are great, great, great administrators, and you just not tapped into that. Some of you guys have the gift of healing, but nobody has actually uh, encouraged you or affirmed that in you. Some of you guys have the gift of evangelism, and you've not had the courage to live that out. Some of you guys have the gift of prophecy, but you've never seen it done before. It always looked weird to you before, but this is our chance to begin to practice those things, not because you're going to become an expert in that area, but because you're growing in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask, her, uh, ask a couple of questions, and I'm probably not going to get through everything today, but that's okay. Um, I want to ask the first question, who is the Holy Spirit? It's really simple to say the Holy Spirit's the third person of the uh, Trinity, all right? So, but Holy Spirit is more than that. Uh, as a matter of fact, Paul puts uh, the Holy Spirit in the right context for us in this passage. I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter, two, uh, sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, we didn't read this earlier, but I want to read this for us, because Paul really makes it about the main thing. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, um, wow, interesting, somebody from Mississauga is calling me, all right, okay, Um, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, other translation says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, right, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led, before you knew Jesus, before you um, understood anything about God, before you ever lived a life that was submitted to God, you would chase things. You would chase things that really were like not real. Your ambitions, your goals, you know, he said mute idols, things that aren't alive. You would chase those things and you gave yourself to them. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. All right, so he's making a very important point right now before he talks about spiritual gifts. He says, nobody ever says that Jesus is accursed if they have the Holy Spirit. Like somebody couldn't 
somebody couldn't bless, couldn't, couldn't curse the name of Jesus if they had the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and no one says Jesus is the Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can allow us to say those things about Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can allow us to believe those things about Jesus. Only the, the Holy Spirit can create faith that produces belief in us, right? And so the Holy Spirit is the mechanism, the agency, the person that actually creates faith in your life to overcome the questions in order for you to believe and trust in God. Before then, you were a pagan chasing after mute idols, Paul says, but it was the Holy Spirit that gave you faith to believe that Jesus is Lord and not say Jesus is a curse, right? So he's saying that Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit that is working gifts in your life, right? He's making a really strong connection. In John 14, Jesus calls this Holy Spirit the parakaleo. That just means someone who comes alongside of you. He's the counselor, the, the comforter. The Holy Spirit is coming alongside of you. And so that's why Paul's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of the power that's inside of you. Some of you have become Christian in the last year, year and a half. I don't want you to be ignorant of the power that lives inside of you. That Christianity isn't this discipline-based religion. It's a power-based relationship. I don't want you to be ignorant of that. Or else you will fall trapped to the understanding that if I do better, then God will be more pleased than me. And that's anti-Christianity. That's anti-gospel. There's a power living inside of you. There's a person living inside of you. Creative faith in you. That's why you believe, right? Paul's saying that. So, Holy Spirit is the agent of the Trinity that creates faith in you for belief and for good works. All right, so Paul's fleshing this out in chapter 12. Holy Spirit is behind it all. The stirring in our hearts for God is not self-induced. It's the Holy Spirit. According to the biblical understanding of human rationality, the way that humans think, the, according to the, what the Bible says about our minds, when the first human beings, Adam and Eve, chose to rely strictly on empirical knowledge of good and evil, which is exactly what they did when they ate from the fruit of no, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they relied <clears throat> on their human faculties, rationality, strictly speaking, and so they chose to disconnect from God, right? That, that, that's, that was the downfall of the human race, is empirical knowledge-based living, right? Not saying that's wrong. It could either be good or bad. That's the point of the Bible. The tree of knowledge of good or evil, that's all you get. But there's this other option. There's good, there's evil, there's godly. And so it's the Holy Spirit living in us that allows us to choose not just good or evil, but to choose godly. Holy Spirit does that inside of us, right? So the Holy Spirit must come in order for us to be restored. You understand that, right? So I'm laying some foundation. Stay, we're going to get to the gifts. You're going to discover your gift. It's going to be awesome, right? But got to lay the foundation. Holy Spirit's job is to restore what was lost. Before, all we had was empirical-based knowledge, either good or evil, right or wrong. But we're not confined to that because God is outside of that. But we can't choose outside of that unless Holy Spirit is working inside of us, right? Is it helpful to answer these questions about, you know, faith? Yes, it is, right? What's funny about questions about faith, right? Our questions that we ask about faith right now are completely different questions that were asked two, three hundred years ago, by the way. Uh, questions about faith here in North America and in the West are completely different questions that are asked in the East, by the way. 
And by the time we get to 100, when we're all dead, our great-grandchildren will be asking completely different questions. They would have figured out the answers to our questions that we're struggling with. And they're thinking, oh, we're so archaic. Why was it so hard for you to believe that? Or why was it so hard for you to disbelieve that? Questions are culturally conditioned, right? And so the Holy Spirit transcends all that. The Holy Spirit has to do the work in order for us to believe. So likewise, apart from the Holy Spirit's work in you, it's unfathomable for you to think that you would really actually give your life and purpose, your life to God's purposes to serve him. I wouldn't do that. There's enough selfishness in me. There's no way. I like to do good, but I couldn't always choose good, right? But it's this idea that the Holy Spirit is living in you, and little by little, you're accomplishing more of God's purposes in your life. If your condition is sin, if your nature and your nurture is sin, I'm not saying that you're a bad boy or a naughty little girl. That's not, that's not the, when I say we're in sin, I'm not saying, oh, you're a bad little girl or a bad little boy. When I say that we're in sin, that our nature and our nurture, that condition that we're in is sin. How is it that we can work to please God if it wasn't God actually working through us, right? So we have this internal dialogue, right? This internal dialogue, because for those of us who are Christian, you're constantly having this internal dialogue, right? We're always saying, I don't know if this is right, I don't know if I should make this decision, that decision. For, I, I really do think that internal dialogue, for a lot of us who are followers of Jesus, that internal dialogue is actually prompted by God's Spirit more often than not. And the voice is kinder than you actually think. Sometimes we have options, and those options we don't like, but those options are actually a lot kinder than you actually think. Uh, and God is much more benevolent. He's much more benevolent to us than we actually think. Right. Uh, John Calvin, he's an old guy, uh, wrote a lot of theology. Um, he wrote that faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence towards us. Faith is this firm knowledge that God has good things for us, founded upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, that, that, that goodness is founded on the truth that was given to us in Jesus, and it was revealed to our minds and sealed on our hearts by the Holy Spirit, right? And so th that is the process in which we are actually living out who we are as Christians, and the role of the Holy Spirit is that he reveals that to you. I'll tell you this, man, there's enough skepticism in me there's enough skepticism in me that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, it would be very difficult for me to believe some of the things that we believe, right? For those of us who have journeyed along this way, when you became a believer, it wasn't so much that you had the Bible completely like, yeah, that is authoritative in my life, right? It was a gradual process in which the Holy Spirit didn't overcome every defeat or belief in your life, but your experiences with the Holy Spirit begin to reassure you that the words in this book is not only valid, but is authoritative in your life. It doesn't come to you all at once. It's a journey and a process. I'm not worried if you're a new believer and you're having a hard time struggling with the Bible, because struggling with the Bible actually increases your experience with the Holy Spirit, which actually will help you overcome some of the defeater beliefs that you have in the Bible, all right? Did I, did I say throw away your mind in all of that? Did I say don't be rational or intellectual? Okay, I just wanna make sure that you didn't feel that way. I'm just saying that there's something higher than our little 10 ounce brains that are at work, right? Can you accept that at least? There's something more than our 10 ounce brains that are, are at work, okay, all right. Uh, faith is a belief producing process and it's also a power releasing process, all right? Faith produces belief, but it also produces power in our life, all right? We're inching our way towards spiritual gifts, right?
The Holy Spirit works in a way where faith produces power in our lives. We do things, not just good things, not just bad things, but eternal things. Things that will last forever. We can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit must do that in us and through us, right? And so I wrote here, faith is a believing, producing process. When the Holy Spirit is at work in you, you believe the truths of, the God, of God, and your mind is functioning the way that it was designed to be, like before the fall in the garden. Likewise, faith is also a power-releasing process. So when you operate in the Holy Spirit, you're now working in alignment with the perfection that God's created for you to live in. Right? I'm not saying you're, ma- you're perfect. I'm not saying that. But when you produce the power in the Holy Spirit that he's given to you, you're working in alignment with that ideal that God's created you for. All right? Sin made it impossible. Holy Spirit makes it possible for you to do supernatural things. And I'm not just saying the healings and the miracles. I'm saying walking in daily obedience to God. You need supernatural power for that. All right? Christ died, Christ didn't die to just release, or to forgive our sins. Christ died to release a power into our lives. That's the point. It's a gift. Theoretically, the Wesleyans, um, anybody grow up in a Methodist, United, Wesleyan tradition? Yeah, okay, all right, I won't offend anybody. Uh, The Wesleyans grew up with this idea that you can actually become perfect in this life, sinless. You can become sinless in this life. Theoretically, I think that's right. Theoretically. Practically, eh. <laughs> Theoretically, if you moment by moment lived in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, theoretically, you could live a sinless, blameless life. Why? So man, one man proved that theory. Jesus. One thing you ought to realize about Jesus is that he, he, he had flesh like you and I. But it wasn't like Jesus was like this like, divine Superman walking around. That he was just like you and me. He actually says, the Bible says that he had to release all of his glory when he left heaven to come to earth. Like he was a plain old dude. He had complete devotion to his father and he depended on the Holy Spirit for every moment of his life. He overcame sin not because he was God. He overcame sin because of his obedience to his father and the power of the Spirit. He did his ministry. If you, you know the story, Matthew chapter 3, right? Jesus was baptized. What happened when Jesus came out of the water? Come on, Sunday school. I have more faith in you. What happened when Jesus came out of the water? The Holy Spirit came on him and empowered him for ministry. Up until that point, unless you believe in the Apocrypha, Jesus hadn't really done a whole lot. If you're a Catholic, you believe he healed a bird when he was 12, something like that, right? Um, I'm offending every denomination this morning. <laughs> but, but up until that point, Jesus hadn't really done anything powerful in his ministry. He had the Holy Spirit descend on him to do the supernatural, supernatural works. Jesus is not just king. He's not just Lord. He's not just Savior. Jesus is the prototype for who you and I will be like. And if we don't understand that, we live a powerless Christianity. Do you realize that? That the only thing that separates you and a person who is a theist or a deist or a Hare Krishna or, um, you know, um, uh, I don't want to offend other religions, um, is the fact that your identity and destiny is that you will be like Jesus, living in power. It may not be perfected in this life, 
but it's possible in this life, right? So discovering your spiritual gift is nothing short of discovering the giver of the gifts. And when you seek the Holy Spirit, you receive love and power, and that's better than just knowing your gifts and your talents. Oh, believe me. The worst thing that we can do is, is have a bunch of talented and gifted people that have no character begin to lead, right? If the most successful ministers and leaders, when I say ministers, I'm not saying pastors or, or full-time ministers, but people who are loving serving in the church, the most successful ministers in the church and serving the world today are not people that know their spiritual gifts. Can I say that? It's people that love Jesus and love people and they refuse to live a life that doesn't have integrity and they keep their promises and they persevere. And you can ask them, what's your spiritual gift? And they'll say, you know, I'm not quite sure. These are the, the most faithful. The, the people that give, you know, uh, guys like me a problem and Mike a problem are those who are so gifted and they're so talented and they're like, yeah, you know, I can sing and, you know, I can do bravado, I can do bass, I can do alto, I can, you know, you know, I can heal people. But then they drop the ball all the time. They never show up. Like they're out, you know, their, their lives don't speak the same thing that their gifts speak. There's a sense in which you can't elevate charisma over character. The character always comes before charisma. And that's the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we won't get a chance to get into that as much. But um, Paul writes about love. And he says, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. If you don't love the church, what's the point? All right, this, this, this passage is read at weddings a lot. But this passage is actually about serving the church. And Paul says, if you, if you don't serve the church, every prophetic you, work, you give, it sounds like a clanging symbol. Like, you want to speak into my life? I haven't seen you in six months, right? Uh, uh, you, you want to lead, you know, you want to lead this small group? So Paul said, if you don't love people, you don't love the church, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. Paul says the body was made to fit together. If you don't understand that concept, your service is kind of like, you know, it's like a clanging symbol, Paul says. It's making noise, but it really doesn't do anything for us, right? So charisma comes after character. The guy who says, I'll show up every time, the guy who says, you know what, if there's a sick person, I'm there. Uh, I'm, I'm praying, and they're genuinely praying. What's your spiritual gift? I don't know. I don't really don't know, but that person, at the end of the day, does much more ministry in the long term than the person who knows their exact gifting, but they have a hard time with everything else, right? Um, next question is, what then are spiritual gifts? All right, we got the Holy Spirit. So what is it? What does it mean when we talk about the Holy uh, spiritual gifts? Um, and I know to a certain degree my answer won't be super, super uh, fulfilling, but uh, let, me, let me read this for us. Uh, what I wanted to differentiate was the difference between a spiritual gift and a natural gift, all right? Because there is such thing as a natural gift, all right? But a spiritual gift would be something that you're applying your gift. It's nothing more than imparting onto a person or a place or a process. I'm using a lot of Ps. A person, a place, or a process, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? You're imparting onto a person or onto a place or a, a, a process the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? And so when I say the word impart, does that resonate? Do you understand impart? There's actually something being transferred from you to that thing, person, it, um, it may not be visible, but that, that, that transference is more than just a good act. It's actually a part of the Holy Spirit. 
And the best example we see this is when Jesus leaves and he is instructing his uh, disciples on how to do ministry. This is found in John chapter 20, verse 21. Let me read this real quick. Um, This is how Jesus did his ministry before he left. He said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So God's sending me on mission. I'm also going to send you in the same way. And 21 and 22 are connected. You have to read those two together. So after he says, I am now sending you, he shows them how he sends them. He says this, and he breathed. In the Greek, the word is blue. He breathed on them. Kind of awkward, right? And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus was doing ministry to them, but he was also showing them, as the Father is sending me, this is how I'm going to send you. And all throughout the book of Acts, the apostles, what do they do? They're imparting the Holy Spirit. They're preaching the gospel, and they're imparting the Holy Spirit. That's why it doesn't matter what spiritual gift God's given to you. Because at the end of the day, we're accomplishing the same thing. We're imparting the Holy Spirit onto a person, a place, or a process. It's all significant, Paul says. No, nobody is insignificant in the body of Christ. No act is insignificant. If it's a greeting, or if it's a sermon, or it's leading a small group, or leading one of our outreach missions, all of those things boils down to are you imparting the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit onto a person, a place, or a process? Because if you are, you're practicing a spiritual gift. It, the, you know, the gallbladder serves a, a pretty important reason. Nobody ever sees it. It's not very important. You can kind of do without it, but it hurts. The whole body knows that something's wrong when it's hurting. You matter. It doesn't matter if you, you're behind the scenes. You play a huge role in God's body. The source is all the same. Paul later says in, in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, same source. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about certain gifts. We're going to talk about um, different categories of gifts. We're going to talk about different um, ways to use your gifts. But throughout the series, as we're talking about these things, and if you have this sneaky suspicion that I don't know if I know my gift, or I don't know if I can, um, uh, if, if my gift is important, or I don't know how I can contribute in an important way, I want you to be rest assured that because this is not about you, and because this is not about any particular leader, that it doesn't matter. That for those of us, Paul even says that the reason we have to think this way because our envy will keep other people from rising up. Right. Paul says, if you, if you don't understand that every position matters, you will envy other people's gifts, and that's actually going to prevent them from rising up. But at the same time, you're also going to feel insecure, and you're going to think that because I'm behind the scenes, it really doesn't matter. Paul says, when we move forward thinking that this is about the body, that we love each other, it allows other people to rise up, and allows me to minister in obscurity and be okay with that. And when we do that, what we do, what we accomplish together as the body of Christ is so much more significant than any one superstar. 
The body of Christ at work is so much more significant than any one superstar. The next couple of weeks, we're gonna take what I've talked about, stewarding a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're gonna try to narrow it down a little bit more into practical things. I do wanna say real quick so that you have something to take home with you um, is, um, again, I'm, I'm not huge on saying, hey, you know, tests are awesome. Um, actually, I do. I say, hey, take chicken finders. Let me know what you are. I do say that to people. Um, but for those of us who are like, oh, you know, I'm curious. We have found a test called spiritualgiftstest.com, uh, which they do a decent job. You know, if you're into this kind of thing, I would um, suggest that you take it. Um, this actually creates a common language for us to begin over the next couple of weeks in our small groups to talk about these things. And it also allows your friends to say, you know what? Yeah, administration, I totally see that because you're so bossy. Or they'll say, evangelism, yeah, I can see that. That's why you're always thinking about those who aren't here, who aren't a part of this group. Or yeah, you're totally pastoral, totally, because that's why everybody goes to you. And so it helps us to create a language, all right? So this is not going to predict your future. This is not going to get you married. This is not going to solve all your problems. Uh, but it will give us a common language for us to begin to talk um, the rest about, uh, the, uh, talk throughout the rest of our series. All right. I want to conclude with this. Uh, the greatest context to discover your spiritual gifting, how you fit into the body of Christ, is through body life. And I'm not just saying our small groups, but it's this daily, weekly interaction with the body. Because your gifts weren't made um, for solo consumption. Could you imagine if all this week I was practicing and preparing my sermon just so Sunday morning I could stand in my bathroom and preach to a mirror? be ridiculous. No gift works that way. The only way for you to work out your gift is to be in the context of body every day, right? And so uh, I want to encourage you, um, and this may discourage you at first, but I want to encourage you by this. My observation has been, after 20 years of Christian ministry, that it takes at least three to seven years serving in a community before you begin to feel like, yeah, I found my niche, right? So if you're struggling, you know, after serving six months, don't give up. Maybe change or kind of make some adjustments. There's, a, there's this idea of perseverance in your life. You have to mature before God shows you what it is that he's really purposed you for. I wouldn't give power tools to my two-year-old. There's a maturity, a perseverance, an endurance that we all have to go through in order for us to walk more fully in our gifts. And I think for some of us, I can begin to tell how God's gifted our church. And if we give it more time, if we give it more time, it's gonna be amazing what God's gonna do through us. I wanna invite you to stand up before we take communion and I wanna pray for us. And this is gonna be based on your sense and just your just how you feel about yourself. Um, if, uh, close your eyes, because it'll make you feel more comfortable. I want to pray for specific gifts in our church. Um, I won't be exhaustive, but I want to pray for specific gifts. If you have the, you feel like God's inclined you, maybe you don't know if you have the gift, but if God's inclined you towards evangelism, can you just raise your hand real quick? All right. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray for those with evangelism that, um, that they're burden to reach others um, would be a coaching and a, in a strict uh, a practice, a daily practice 
where we can come alongside and we can see the passion and see the concern of their lives. And Lord, we release them to that. Those of you guys who have this sense of leadership or organization or administration, you feel like you see the problems, you know that there's so many gaps. If you feel like that's you, you raise your hand, you just see like, yep, okay, yes, we need you. Lord, release these people into our church. Boy, do we need them. Uh, (laughs) God, I pray that you would give them the gift of government, the gift of governing, the gift of administration. Lord, I pray that they would not feel squashed, or I pray that they would not feel misunderstood, uh, that they would not feel like um, their talents and gifts don't matter. God, would you begin to release more of that? God, give us the humility as the leadership team to accept uh, the, uh, the words that need to be given to us, Lord. I pray that you release them, Lord. Thank you. Um, if you have a sense where man, God's given you a prophetic gift, you words of discernment, you wisdom, healing, um, you, just, you just feel a sense of closeness to God, you just have words that you want to share with people, if that's you, raise your hand. Just Okay, all right. God, thank you for this. This is the mouth of our church. Um, the, Lord, this is where we need to hear from you. Uh, God, I pray that you give them courage and discernment. Give them humility, give them timing. Uh, give them the ability to, to know when to release a word and not to just haphazardly do it. And God, I also pray that you would use them to train up others. Your word says, above all else, seek the gift of prophecy. And so there's something about this gift, Lord, that is necessary for us to hear and move forward. And Lord, I, I, just, I, know, I know that, Lord, there's so many other people here that, Lord, we're asking, I don't know where I'm gifted. You know, I'm just, I'm a new Christian. I don't know where I fit. Uh, Lord, I I just pray that you help us to get past, you know, where do I fit in as much as, Lord, how do I just, how do I just love people? And from that, you will reveal more. And so, God, we thank you that you're uh, among us and that you're doing this work. And we say yes to the Holy Spirit. Before we say yes to your gifts, we say yes to you, Holy Spirit. Give us faith and belief and release power through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.